Hello and welcome to the Vistamilk podcast. I'm Emer Ferguson, the Education and Public Engagement Manager at Vistamilk SFI Research Centre. During the course of this podcast series, we will introduce you to some of our fantastic researchers and the work they do here at the centre. For the month of March, we are highlighting women across the organisation and are delighted to welcome our next guest, Professor Marion Scott. Marion is a Scottish statistician, author and academic based at the University of Glasgow and she specialises in environmental statistics and statistical modelling, as well as being a member of Vistamilk's Scientific Advisory Committee. So without further ado, uh, I'd like to welcome our very first guest to our International Women's Day podcast series. I'm delighted to welcome Marion Scott. Uh, Marion, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thanks, Emer. Um, so my name is Marion Scott. Um, I'm a statistician in the University of Glasgow, where I've been for a long number of years. Um, I'm obviously Scottish and um, I've lived in Scotland all of my life, apart from a couple of lengths of time uh, where I lived in, worked in France um, and in Australia. So um, I'm, I'm, I suppose I would describe myself as an applied statistician. Um, I'm curious about how science works in lots of different disciplinary areas whether it's about the environment, whether it's about animal welfare, whether it's about archaeology. Um, so I would probably class myself as being quite interdisciplinary uh, in terms of what I do. Um, and obviously in my role in the University of Glasgow, I also teach. Um, and I sit on a few um, committees, uh, usually about offering science advice to uh, government uh, and administrations. So um, that's related to my work in the university, but also slightly separate. Fantastic. I think we're hearing from so many scientists, you know, the variety and breadth of experience that you pick up from a career in science is just absolutely breathtaking. And the fact that you've got to travel as well is just so, so cool. Was there any particular country, Australia or France, that you particularly enjoyed? Um, I like them all. I mean, I have done quite a lot of travelling in, in my time um, and I think it's been really very exciting um, in some respects because I grew up in a relatively small village um, and certainly before I came to university, um, I hadn't travelled very much. Um, so, you know, being able to travel to places like uh, Russia, Australia, China, the US and so on um, has just been amazing. I feel very privileged in terms of the people I've got to meet, the places I've got to see, and just the whole experience. And I know for us now, coming out of the, the other side of this pandemic, the evil P word, um, I know a lot of people are considering you know, hybrid events, but every scientist I speak to says, oh, bring back the in-person events. I want to meet people. I want to network because there's so much more to science than the actual you know, the publications. It's, it's meeting yeah. colleagues. It's those conversations over a cup of tea or coffee yeah. or maybe with a chocolate that, uh, that is always wel welcome okay. on those days out. I think that's very true. I think, however, we do need to be careful because in some senses, um, I think we also have to be reflective about there clearly have been certain things that we've been able to do much more efficiently. Um, yes. And there are obviously certain things that we've um, lacked a little bit, um, for sure. But, you know, we do have a responsibility to our planet and the mm -hmm. challenges that it faces in terms of um, climate change and, and so on. So... I think that, you know, going forward, 
I absolutely do, as you say, appreciate meeting people. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are certain circumstances where I think perhaps, uh, you know, we can do, we can work really efficiently online. Um, and there may be other circumstances where, as you say, getting together will be really important. So I think going forward, we're all trying to find a, a balance to allow us um, not necessarily to be leaping on a plane, you know, every second week, um, but also um, perhaps thinking about circumstances where that personal interaction is really key as opposed to, you know, well, it's, it's the norm. It's what we always did. So let's go back to how we always did it before. 100% really good point. No, it's uh, I don't think anybody wants to be taking on any unruly commutes or anything like that anymore. And no. as you said, it's all about balance. I couldn't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. So, Mary, the reason we're here today is to celebrate International Women's Day. And I'd love for you to tell us what that means to you. Why, why should we celebrate International Women's Day? Um, well, I think probably the word is celebrate. And I think it it's not just about women. I think it's a celebration of, I suppose, the multitude of areas and um, aspects that we all bring to our society, whether it's in our scientific community, whether it's in our local community, um, whether it's in our family or our broader family and so on. So I, I feel it's a celebration and I think it should be um, an inclusive celebration. Absolutely. This year's theme, however, is breaking the bias. So if I was to ask you either personally to interpret that, is bias something you've come across in your working or personal life? I would have to say, um, when I thought about this, I could not immediately identify circumstances where I have felt really either undervalued or ignored. Mm-hmm. Now, I think you know quite a large part of that has to do with individuals' personalities. Um, in the sense of I'm not necessarily shy about speaking out. And so, um, as I said, I, I can't immediately think of any circumstance specifically where I have really, as I said, felt ignored or undervalued in my um, my professional career. Good, good, good. I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. It's not to, not to downplay that obviously others have. Yes. And certainly um, it's all about, as I said, perception and how it impacts on you individually and personally. And I think you've touched on a really important point about speaking up. And I think that, again, comes with time and confidence. Sometimes, you know, not all women, I certainly can attest to that myself, have the confidence to speak up at times. But I do think with appropriate, you know, engagement across, whether it's in our personal or professional lives, just speaking up and advocating for other women, I think is just so important. So I, I really appreciate your answer there, Marion. So of all the great female leaders, pioneers, maybe entrepreneurs or sports people or TV personalities, uh, do you have a particular role model and why would that be? I think, although it sounds slightly silly in some respects, um, I think what was really kind of influential as I was growing up was um, seeing people like Mr. Spock in Star Trek. Um, you know, this concept that science and science officers um, were really key in the delivery of this, you know, going out into the great unknown and exploring and um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and even in those days when it was first being set up, which I think must have been the 1960s, if I remember, I was just a little girl. I really was a little girl. 
um, in the 1960s, you know, there were women on the bridge. Now, they didn't have, um, you know, the really, really senior roles, but they were playing a role and they were contributing to the operation of the, um, the, the Starship and its mission. And similarly, you know, when I think about the other kind of TV uh, situations, um, then, you know, thinking about Doctor Who, now both Doctor Who and Star Trek have been reinvented, and, you know, we have new generations of all of these. Um, but fundamentally, for me, I think the key thing was the not so much the personality, but the concept that science was really solving problems. Not quite, I mean, I certainly wouldn't claim to save the planet, um, but, you know, in, in that sense, you were seeing science being brought to bear on challenges and I think that is is really what motivates me in many situations is that kind of concept that uh, and I'm sure it's true for many uh, scientists uh, and you have to be slightly careful because you know by science I don't just simply mean you know what classically would have been you know science technology engineering etc etc but just the broader um, aspect of what I mean by science um, being there to help solve problems yes I love that it's something I often refer to in when I go and speak with younger children is just, do you like asking questions? And really, I think that's the root of all scientists is I've got a question and I'm going to do absolutely everything I can, but I'm not going to claim to be an expert on everything, but I'll certainly reach out to my network and we'll work together to solve those problems. Fantastic, Marion. And how do you think in that guise there talking about, you know, Star Wars and even Doctor Who and things like that? You know, are there any examples of how you would encourage women to pursue and achieve leadership roles in their chosen field? I think that, I think it's being tenacious, mm-hmm. um, dealing with disappointments and discouragements um, that happen all the time. I mean, you know, when you look at people who are successful, I think if you track back their career, I mean, you'll find that they probably have had multiple failures and it's how they build on those failures. I mean, as an academic, you know, I remember the the real disappointment you get every time you submit a grant application and it's not funded. But what you have to do is, you know, take a little bit of time to pick yourself up uh, and move forward, hoping to have learned from that experience about ways that you can can improve. Um, So from that point of view, you know, what I would say to young people coming into our professions is, you know, be tenacious, do stick with it, um, do ask questions. And I think one of the things I had written down when I was thinking um, about some of the questions that you might ask was also don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, it's okay to admit, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. Um, that's absolutely natural and it's absolutely fine. Um, I mean, I often tell my students that you know, I don't know the answers to everything, but part of our training and how we learn is knowing how to find out. I mean, nobody, no, no one can know everything. Um, so it's this, it's this kind of, how do you find out? That's really more, it's about the kind of exploration that's the really important aspect. And I think that comes back to, you know, your comment earlier about asking questions and being curious. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more and even just that it's that scientific method and I again to call on experiences of mine in classrooms is you know oh I just hear this all the time my experiment didn't work I was like well no experiment what what were you expecting it to do that's the whole idea is you know well what did you learn what did it tell you Uh, so I love that Marion that's absolutely brilliant 
So as we know, though, in the world of work, it's not always a level playing field for men and women. Um, what has been your experience? I know you mentioned that you haven't necessarily come across biases, but is there anything in particular that you would tell your younger self, for instance, that you've learned in your professional or personal life? Um, just maybe to have a little more confidence in your own abilities, uh, not to be overconfident, because I don't think that's good as well as being underconfident, but it's trying to find that path that says, I can do this. Um, and as I said, I think part of that is also, as I was saying earlier, being prepared to admit that you don't know. I mean, one of the, the real benefits of how I work is we tend to work in teams. So, you know, you're not alone. Um, and equally, you know, you can ask for help and you'll receive it. And there will be other situations where it's you who's offering the help. So <clears throat> being prepared uh, in that sense to admit, I don't know, um, asking for help when you need it, but also being prepared to offer help when someone else might be needing it. And I think part of that really comes down to thinking very hard about communications. I mean, I know, obviously, um, there's been a great deal of discussion about um, mental health challenges in the kind of context of the, the pandemic. And one of the, the, the main pieces of advice you get, I think when you look at all of this, is actually talk to someone. So I think that's true, not just simply in the pandemic, but even when you're working. So when you're facing a challenge, talk to someone. Absolutely. And that just that network again, as, as you spoke about earlier, you know, it's a team, it's a team effort. I think so many people have the stereotype of scientists work in isolation, whether that's in a lab setting or behind a computer, but they forget that it's just that big network. And speaking of communication, I do hope that my little dog isn't barking through uh, this microphone. I can hear her barking away, most likely at the postman, but hopefully that's not coming through. Another fantastic answer, Marion. Um, so again, speaking of that kind of idea of over the years, what kind of experiences you've had, I'd love to know what's the most important important piece of advice that you've received or the best lesson you've ever learned? I think the main thing really is being prepared to ask for help when you need it. Really. Um, I think we often think that if we ask for help, it's an admission of failure. Um, and it's not um, in that regard. And I think it comes back to this kind of confidence and it's perhaps, you know, being confident sufficiently to be able to admit that you don't know something or you've never done something. And often, um, you know, the biggest challenge is overcoming your concerns and worries about trying something that you've never done before. Mm. Absolutely. And like speaking about your, your experience in teaching, you've taught, no doubt, many, many students over the years. And so how do you, as a, a lecturer and a professor, how do you instill that confidence? How do you encourage uh, confidence within your within your students? Well, I guess, I, I mean, it's easy to say, but the first thing you always say is there's no such thing as a stupid question. Every question is valid. The answers might be simpler in some cases than in others, but the reality is... Um, that's part of, of the process that you want to instill in students is to actually to be curious, to not just simply accept what's presented, um, but also to think about, well, why and how does that work? And I haven't understood this. 
because often, I mean, I think one of the things I certainly know from my own experience is, you know, you read something. So I read lots of scientific papers. Well, <laughs> I skim lots of scientific papers sometimes. Um, and sometimes you read it for the first time and you think, I haven't really got this. I, I don't know what they're doing. And often sometimes if you come at the same problem, but from a slightly different direction, you find, oh, yeah, I'm beginning to make sense of this now. So I think that's part of what I try and instill in people. But I think it is basically um, saying, you know, as I said, no question is stupid. So, um, you know, do ask, um, do think about and so on. I remember my own dad telling me, you know, I'd be going to bed when I was very young and I'd be worried about a maths problem that I just couldn't figure out. And I always remember him saying things like, you know, just go to bed, rest on it. And in the morning, it might look very different. And I think there's a lot to be said for, like you're saying there, about different perspectives. Sometimes just going out for a walk, just breaking that, that you know, tunnel vision that sometimes we get when we're reading a paper or things like that uh, can be so important as well. So thanks, Mary. And if I was to follow up by asking you then, what are you most proud of? Uh, what is giving you the greatest satisfaction and in life generally or maybe in your work specifically? Um, I guess, again, as an academic, some of the kind of the, the biggest pleasure and joy you get is from seeing people that you've taught um, coming through and having achievements of their own um, and that in that regard. So that's always very, very um, kind of heartwarming um, I guess you know when I look back on my career um, I think probably the one thing that gives me a huge amount of pleasure is you know thinking about all of the really fascinating people that you've met um, from all of these different cultures and all of these different settings um, in that sense so that's always been um, something that I really cherished uh, and, and for me, I think, again, what drives me is, you know, even after many years of working as an applied statistician, hearing someone talk about their science can still, I think, well, that's fascinating. I wish I knew more. So there's always this, um, I think, drive to understand and to learn all the time. So it's a continual process. Um, so fascinating people. Um, I suppose the, as I said, the teaching aspect and actually seeing people that you've taught, putting some of the things that you've taught them into practice, but also seeing them taking it further um, in that sense. I, so that would be probably, I think, the things that I would, I would pick up on. Brilliant. I love it, Marion. And, and I suppose, yeah, as you say, the influence that you've had, you know, on these people's lives, uh, the future directions that they take in terms of their career and stuff, it must just be really, really very proud. It's a little bit daunting sometimes when a student confronts you, not confronts you, but kind of stops you in the corridor of the building and says, you know, you taught my mum. Uh, and I'm just waiting for someone to say, you taught my grand. And I'm thinking, okay, thank you. That's lovely. But it's very nice when that happens as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Brilliant. Um, you touched on this earlier, and I'd love to get your thoughts on that. So we hear a lot about mindfulness and work-life balance these days. Can you give us any insights into how you approach uh, these things? Well, I would say that I don't have a wonderful work-life balance. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I think it's a, it comes to an individual thing. But the way that I try and manage things is um, I try to be quite structured. Um, 
I try to write myself, you know, lists at times that says, you know, these things need to be done. This needs to be done by a certain date. Um, so it's the management of that kind of time aspect and kind of getting your priorities lined up so that you can see them um, in that sense. Um, and it, it helps. I mean, I think one of the challenging things is that you tend to say yes to things. They go in your diary because you think, well, oh, they're a long way away, loads of time, there'll be no problem. And then suddenly they, they hit you and you think, why on earth did I agree to that? Um, so I think it's it's trying to, to get a planning cycle. Um, that's that's one way of managing it. But uh, as I said, I, I'm not in any sense, um, I would say, it is a challenge to always manage your work-life balance. There's always something more that you could be doing. Uh, and sometimes you just have to say, well, I can't do that now. I, I need to say no. Um, and as I said, part of how I manage the work-life balance is to try and keep kind of um, an idea of what's near term, what's mid term and what's kind of longer term so that I, I can keep it um, manageable at least. That's the theory. Exactly. Sometimes I, I find just sitting down and writing and consolidating my list sometimes is my problem is I have lists here, there and everywhere. Um, but just consolidating them all and like that, just thinking two and three weeks ahead or months or, or whatever it is. Yeah, fantastic advice. Brilliant. And finally, um, what would you say to someone, particularly a woman, starting on, say, a particular career type like yourself as a, an applied statistician? Any motivational thoughts or, or any advice for people considering this career? Well, I think what you have to recognise is, as I said earlier, um, you're always learning. It's not a case of, you know, you've done your high school, you've done your undergraduate degree, you've done your postgraduate degree, that's it. Knowledge is not static it's dynamic and it's changing all the time and that's really I think one of the exciting things that you want to be in that flow and to keep moving with that increased knowledge and understanding so yeah be curious and learn all the time love it and if I can just very briefly follow up on that and just ask you specifically about statistics at what time in your life did you realize statistics is the career for me was that always kind of the path or did no, you ever no 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 it, it wasn't um I, I came to university thinking um well you know you're good at something at school so I was good at maths at school I decided that I would come to university and maybe do psychology and for reasons which I do not remember I didn't know anything about statistics here in Glasgow I did my degree my first degree in, in Glasgow uh, and Glasgow at that time was one of the few places in the United Kingdom that actually taught statistics and had a statistics degree. But I didn't know anything about statistics. But for some reason, I decided in my, my first year, we do three subjects, I decided to pick statistics, which I knew nothing about. Um, and I went to the statistics lectures. And again, it's a very practical subject. So we had lab classes in statistics. And I just was hooked um, and you know I, I remember I mean I still have really good friends from people that I met in the practical classes that I still keep in touch with um, and it, it was really just that kind of fascination about numbers and what you can learn from numbers um, and just the whole thing you know it really just gripped my imagination and it still continues to do so. 
Love it. Absolutely love it. One of our professors of statistics, she often kind of talks about it as like a black box. You know, you have this collection of numbers. What secrets does it hide? You know, and she just loved the idea of picking apart all these things that would come out of the data. So uh, thank you, Marion. Marion, I feel we've covered so much between Spock and between Doctor Who and between, you know, journeys and careers and, and your beautiful quote, which is to stay curious for all future uh, women considering a career in science. Thank you so much for your time, your energy. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll draw that to a close. So thank you so much, Marion. Thank you. VistaMook is focused on innovative pasture-based dairying and is co-funded by Science Foundation Ireland and the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. To find out more about our research, visit www.vistamilk.ie or find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn.